Thank you very much. Thank you to all of our testifiers. We're now going to move into um, a, a question period. And um, because it's just me asking questions, I want to just, um, I'm going to open up with some questions to our tribal leaders. And um, But I want to just sort of welcome some give and take. And if the tribal leaders have specific questions that you'd like to ask of our um, federal witnesses, I could, I'd be really happy to facilitate this. Um, obviously, this is a huge topic, and it's not possible for us to get all of our questions answered. But my goal from this is that we can get some um, we can get some next steps um, that that we I can then take back to the committee for the work that we can do to work that we can do together. So let me just start out with a question um, to any or all of the of the leaders here. Um, as you think about the, um, I love this I love this uh, I can't remember who said this, but the idea of the great catch up um, when it comes to infrastructure, um, roads, bridges, broadband, water, and sewer. Um, yeah, welcome, welcome back to your Dupi. Um, um, and uh, Chair Duchamp, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you're certainly would be more than welcome to come and join as well. Um, I would just like to hear a little bit from um, from our tribal leaders, um, the tribal leaders that are here. Um, and what do you see as the most important impacts of this infrastructure spending? And, and this gets to what is in, embedded in all of your testimony. Um, and what is like the one or two most important things we can do to this, inf that they, that this 13 plus billion dollars in, um, in uh, formula dollars, um, as well as um, grant dollars, what is the most important thing we can do to make sure that you have good and equitable access uh, to those resources? So what do you think will be the greatest advantage and what do you think is the most important thing we can do to ensure um, um, equitable access to these resources? Would anybody like to start? I will. Oh. Go ahead. Chief Executive Benjamin and then Chair Dupee. I think um, we've um, heard a lot of the tribal uh, leaders talk about uh, the allocation of funding and direct funding to the tribes, I think is uh, something that's gonna be very beneficial. And I think uh, when I think about the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, we are a smaller tribe, but we've been fortunate that we have a grants department that can assist in uh, securing some funding even though they're overloaded as well. Uh, but direct funding, I think, is so important uh, to tribes. So the smaller tribes or other tribes that don't have the capacity are not left out of the opportunity to have funding to um, make a better life for their uh, community members. Thank you. Chair Dupi. I think the impact isn't here yet, but to Melanie's comments, I completely agree with that. It's one of the biggest things that tribal leaders have been saying for, for years, ever since I've been part of this um, um, since 2002, is direct funding. Allow us, if we get the direct funding, it allows us to build what we need. It, it allows us to, to look at the need, but most importantly, the unmet need. And by traveling to the reservations, um, some of you, you get to see the the, the the good thinking, the good, the good ways that tribes are implementing stuff. So, for example, um, microgrid. Fauna Lake has uh, electrical corridor microgrid. Um, my brother over here brought up uh, the infrastructure piece of broadband. We also have our own broadband company started before COVID, and we need to be able to access that out farther than what it is off the reservation boundaries. But it's imperative that the direct funding comes to the tribes. That allows us to do what would, is needed 
for our constituents, but most importantly, so we can, can secure a future for the unborn. That's the ultimate goal with tribal leaders. So, miigwech. Thank you. Um, yeah, a lot of the um, dollars that we get through IHS for projects, they require a tribal match. Some of the smaller tribes, we're in no position to make that match. We have a sewer project that's yeah. in the works. It's on our SDS list. It got the line there that, you know, where's your part coming from? We don't have that. So it comes with a lack of funding for us up north and a lack of a grant department too. So. Thank you. And for the record, Chair Duchamp, could you just identify yourself? Robert Disha, the Grand Portage Tribal Chair. Thank you very much. Would other tribal leaders like to comment on this, answer this question? Chair Larson? I think the biggest piece is just respecting the tribes as sovereigns. Mm -hmm. uh, like they said, we know what the needs are. The restrictions on some of the funding pieces are what hurt. Not having access to the match, not having departments that I mean, we have an environment office of one staff. So when we're talking climate issues, we have one staff. Uh, we have a grant writer and a new grant writer that is learning. So those things aren't always as easy as you think. Just write a grant and, and you can get it. So we just want to put those out there. Thank you. Chair Chavers, did you want to say something? Um, yes, I would. I would like to say the um, it, for some of the programs that you listed, um, you know, the direct funding allocation would be great for tribes, but it's when the funding comes or when it's announced. Sometimes it does. It's like a square trying to be um, fit into a round hole for us because it doesn't meet any of those those categories or those funding um, opportunities. Our our uniques are need. So don't make such specific um, funding categories where it can't meet our need. That's why I think the direct funding is better. Um, if you can do the direct funding, then basically the tribes have the ability to say, well, we can address that need with that funding, but if we went your route, we wouldn't even be able to access the funds. All the programs you mentioned, sir, Mr. Bowen, no disrespect, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll be honest, and I'm a small rural tribe in need of Department of Energy money. We don't have renewable energy. We don't have any type of uh, um, energy needs that are being met because we don't know about them. We're small. You have to realize we, we're the tribes that are small. One environmental staff. Yep, we have one. Mm -hmm. we, you know, that's, that's the comments I have. Chair Chavers, how many people do you have? Um, I mean, just help us understand that a little bit better, because I think this is a really big deal. Um, and, and, when you, and when you're getting information, others can respond to this as well. Um, Secretary Savarejo, I'd love to hear from you as well. But um, when you are um, receiving information about funding opportunities, especially grant opportunities, which is the biggest challenge, it seems to me, like how do you get that information? How do you all get that information? And what would be better ways of getting, you know, getting access to what, what is available out there? Um, usually a tribal leader and or a, a director of a program will get the funding opportunity, the funding announcement letter, mm -hmm. and then we route it to the appropriate individuals. We have one grant writer, and we have to prioritize what our grants are going to be used for. Right now we've got issue with elderly housing. 
Right. Um, you know, so, and then the other part about it is um, having the ability to provide the doc, the backup documentation for that grant, the data. You mentioned this in your testimony. We don't have the data. We mm -hmm. don't have the capabilities of collecting that data. Um, and so we hear about shovel-ready projects. We're scrambling to get shovel-ready projects because we um, don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. So re a lack of resources, I think, in staff and uh, collection data, broadband, internet. We're doing our own fiber to home. We're finally going to have high-speed internet. Um, Internet is huge in rural areas and all tribal communities because with the pandemic, it came to the forefront. So that that's what the resources and, and mm -hmm. it's just, it's, we, we have a lot of inadequacies that you think of the larger tribes and I, I'm thinking like Southwest and, and whatever, but in our area, um, we're all struggling with, with staff. Mm -hmm. I just wanna reiterate, reiterate her point because if I could um, just I'm sorry um I know that the folks who are trying to keep a record of this committee hearing are going to um so if you could just identify yourself when you speak so that the folks that are keeping a record will be able to know who's speaking um, tribal, thank you very much tribal secretary for upper Sioux community Adam Savariego it's on yeah it's oh, <laughs> on oh, good I guess for the past year for the upper Sioux community uh, just the lack of professional talent particularly in rural areas has been difficult um, particularly for our tribal planner, who is our lead grant writer. Um, it took us eight, nine months to finally just get a resume uh, submitted for application. And then obviously someone, um, if they're not pervy to tribal nations, sovereignty and the politics of it all, you know, that's another year long process for them to learn the needs um, of our tribal community. Um, so direct funding access, as we keep mentioning, has helped a lot. Um, I think of the ARPA funds, um, the ability to use those funds immediately for a variety of different um, programs post-COVID or the uh, post-pandemic phase was really beneficial to our tribe. Um, but as Du said, you know, tribes know themselves best um, and so believe, so believe us when we say that ultimately, uh, particularly because of the lack of staff, if we're not a uh, metro area tribe by any means um, it's just been a battle like I said for the past year now in this position looking for someone with the capability and competence to attract them to a town of 2800 people in southwest Minnesota <laughs> thank you would anyone else like to comment on this question as yeah. far as getting the information as both both yeah the question yeah as far as getting the information let me go to um uh chair anderson because i don't think you've had a chance to speak on this question yet i'm asking generally um sort of two related questions one what do you see as the benefit of these um infrastructure dollars and what specifically do we need to do to make sure that that benefit can be equitably distributed and we've had some really good comments about direct funding uh flexibility um uh, chair anderson please Hi, uh, yeah, Chairman Anderson, the Shockman, Metawakan, and Sioux community. I wanted to mention and reiterate all my uh, addressing of your questions were um, answered. But and 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 the biggest piece of the lack of workforce, especially in the rural areas, is and and expertise is is going to have to be addressed in this funding. I I think you might have some some allowance for that assistance. Uh, and, and then if you have a lack of workforce to get these projects shovel ready, 
you you you'll just keep keep dragging it on. So I think that that uh, direct funding and you know there might even be a, a question about the equitable distribution of it as well. I mean you have more needs in certain areas, and I think Brian, you certainly addressed you know all of these things the BIA get, is responsible for, and uh, I like the tiered effect of the sanitary. Uh, funding that that the IHS is is looking at. There's a you know piece for the planning process. Um, we all know that it takes a certain percentage of the dollars it takes to to do a project. So if you've got a million dollar project, you know you might spend a hundred thousand on planning for it or engineering it. So um, all of these things, along with everything everyone was saying about access, uh, open communication, impacts the timing of all of these projects, especially for the rural tribes, because they need that time to, to make sure they're doing the right thing and the, and the planning process so key to that, so. Thank you. Chair Larson. I think the piece that would go along with it is that technical assistance would be nice. Mm -hmm. um, we have gotten a lot of the information from your office. Raven has been great. I will have to say. Um, and I think to be able to get that technical assistance for our staff to help navigate through it would be a great help. Thank you very much. Chair Dupie. I'd just like to add on the technical assistance. If we take a look at it, and, and you can vouch for this too, is that for a very long time, we never had that. So a lot of different things were put into place start with the initiation of Indian gaming, for example. I can speak for Fond du Lac. We didn't call outsiders in to build a casino. We didn't call outsiders in to do this. We did it on our own. But it only carries so far. And the principals that come in as, as a tribal leader, all grant principals will come to me as an email that my job is to disperse that out to whoever we have. But there is a lack of uh, technical assistance or technical knowledge with inside of that structure. Mm -hmm. That infrastructure bill will allow tribes to set that up also within our community colleges and principals like this for this training and technical assistance that we need. But again, it all goes back to one simple thing, in my opinion, is that direct funding. If anybody in the country knows how to stretch the dollar, the tribes have proved that. The tribes have proved it over and over that we're the group of people who are forced to stretch the dollar to try to make things work. And to look out for, again, the most important thing is what we do today as tribal leaders is to protect the future for our unborn and ensure that there's a future for our unborn. So there's things that we need, but it kind of relies to that simple principle of giving, giving us the direct funding allows us to build the infrastructure what we need to reach our unmet needs. It's nobody else's responsibility because nobody else can do it. For 530 years, somebody's trying to tell us what's best for us and it's failed. And if we get that direct funding, that allows our tribes to build up that infrastructure that we need to secure that future again for our unborn. Miigwech. Thank you. I wanna ask if um, um, Mr. Roy would like to say a few words. I see you've joined the table. <laughs> Please, you could just please identify yourself for Thank the... Thank you, uh, Senator uh, Smith. My name is Secretary Treasurer Alan Roy of the White Earth Nation. 
And um, I, I, I just really appreciate the comments that are being offered by our federal counterparts. It's very encouraging to hear uh, Mr. Bauman uh, with his remarks related to energy. I know on my last leg of my service in tribal government, we focused on uh, a number of areas there. And um, it's just uh, very encouraging to see that there's plenty of opportunity out there. Um, I would just say uh, communication is a huge thing. Um, I think Ms. Chavers has uh, uh, emphasized that. We just don't know about a lot of these programs. And I think just by having a field hearing and bringing the folks out here to meet us is, makes a huge difference. And so that leader to leader discussion, it can't be replaced by email or dear tribal le leader letters. I get you know tons of those every week, um, but just seeing somebody face to face makes a huge difference. So thank you. Thank Rich. Um, I'm going to turn to our um, our federal witnesses here. I'm sh I, I'm quite confident that the um, the emphasis that you're hearing from tribal leaders today around direct funding and flexibility challenges around uh, um, tribal match um, um, and technical assistance are all things that you've um, that you're quite familiar with. Um, maybe um, Mr. Newland, would you like to respond and just tell us a little bit about how the federal government and um, where you are, and especially in Interior, is working to respond to these needs from um, from tribes? Sure. Um you know, at the Department of the Interior, we have a much clearer legal authority to do the direct funding that, that uh, we've heard about today uh, through uh, Public Law 638 contracting, as well as self-governance annual funding agreements. And uh, many of our uh, fellow agencies uh, don't have that uh, explicit uh, power. And so the relationship, rather than being a government to government relationship, is often, you know, when we talk about square peg and round hole, uh, becomes a grantor grantee relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we, we've heard about this and, and also have heard about uh, Chair Chavers, the, the uh, frustrations about not knowing uh, all of the other components of, of uh, funding available to tribes. We're trying to do that, get at that in a number of ways, including through the White House Council on Native American Affairs and making sure that our folks in uh, BIA, uh, who often in the field have the uh, most regular communication with tribal leaders and staff, are conduits for that information. Um, and I, I'm also aware that when it comes to these notifications for consultation or, or funding availability, they come either uh, not at all or all at once. And so as, as tribal leader, you get, you know, you, you go to your mailbox in the, in the tribal office and there's a stack this thick <laughs> of tribal leader letters from different agencies and consultations are overlapping and, and, notif and deadlines are overlapping. And so your staff of one or your staff of one half are uh, forced to come to you as tribal leader, your tribal administrator, and, and try to triage all of that and it, it's very challenging. So um, we're, we're working uh, at the Department of the Interior with our colleagues across the, the government to um, help folks understand uh, self-determination and, and flexibility. Uh, in Executive Order 13175 uh, from, from President Clinton, uh, it, it talks about consultation, but it also uh, directs federal agencies to work with tribes on waivers for these program requirements mm -hmm. um, for grants so that when there are uh, technical requirements that tribes don't can't turn on a dime and meet quickly that agencies 
have a directive from the president to waive those requirements in partnership with tribes. And so we're trying to educate our colleagues and other agencies on, on their authority and not only their authority, but their directive from the president to use those powers um, and to work with tribes on consensual policy making and then to coordinate our consultation notices and notices of availability uh, and to really turn our relationship across the federal government away from a grantor-grantee relationship into a government-to-government -government partnership. And we've seen that with the, the rescue plan funding, as, mm -hmm. as the secretary noted, when, when it, it comes with the ability to use as needed to respond to crises and, and urgent needs without a lot of, uh, with, or with a lot of flexibility and without a lot of really detailed restrictions. We've seen tribes do just amazing work uh, with that to benefit their own communities as well as neighboring communities. I remember quite well, uh, 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 leaders, uh, the many conversations we had between the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan, which I think was an example of um, uh, a, a significant improvement in terms of providing direct funding. And I've been able to visit some of the uh, tribal nations around the state to see the benefits of that in terms of what you have already um, you know, how you've already deployed those resources so effectively. Um, but I want to follow up, Mr. Newland, on something that you said. You, you, it's really, I think, important that rather than a government-to-government -government relationship, which is what we should be, which is what should be, we have a grantee-grantor relationship, which is a completely different thing. And you mentioned, I think, that there are challenges because not every agency has the authorities they need in order to fulfill that government-to-government -government treaty and trust um, and, and legal responsibility. Did I understand that correctly? So, because that's a that's a congressional issue. Correct. The the 638 <laughs> contracting authority is really limited, um, you know, to the uh, Department of the Interior and, and to Indian Health Service. And then there are examples in, in other agencies for limited purposes. And so, even where we have agencies that have a uh, an agency officials that have a desire to provide a lot of the flexibility with funding that we're talking about. Um, they don't have uh, the broad scope of, of authority to do that that we have within Indian Affairs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the uh, executive order that President Clinton issued, that President Biden has reaffirmed, tries to make up for that by directing agencies to waive some of these restrictions. But that's a muscle that hasn't been exercised consistently in the right. last two decades. So, um, you, you know, it, 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 it's a... It's a workaround uh, for some of these challenges, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't shave the square peg into a round peg. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think that's very important, and I think suggests um, place for further work on the part of Congress. I think a lot of times federal agencies are trying to figure out how to implement something that when. Um, Congress also has a job to do that it hasn't done. And I'm also just struck by the fact that, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't even count the number of federal employees that must work in all of the agencies that are interacting one way or another with tribal um, governments. And um, the level of understanding of what that government to government relationship should be is dramatically different. I know the state of Minnesota has worked very hard to uh, to do um, uh, like significant training around what that government to government relationship looks like. And um, I think that that, um, I, and I know there's work that's being done in the Biden administration to try to improve that, but we're talking about hundreds of thousands of individuals that one way or another are doing this work. And it's one of the reasons why on the, on the side of the tribes that, that it, it often doesn't feel like there's a kind of coordination and 
um, and, um, and cooperation. Um, I think Chair Dupi would wanted to say something, and then I just want to give a chance to. We're going to we we're, we are going to wrap up in a few minutes. Um, I want to give a chance to um, Ms. Fowler, Ms. Ba Mr. Bowman, if you have something else you wanted to add to this conversation. I was on a call not too long ago about tribal ecological knowledge, and the conversation that we're talking about right now was brought up within that. When you have that many agencies that want to work with tribes, it becomes a logistical nightmare. And one of the things that we're saying is they want to have consultation with all the tribes. Well, there's 576 tribes. How is that going to happen? So the conversation went into a regional, but it also went into the training, what's going on within the state of Minnesota and how you can apply that at a federal level. Because within the consultation policy at the federal level, it works both ways. And so the question I'm going to ask you, Natawis, is the executive order, if I remember reading it, I can't remember if it says shall and will or may. And so I think the executive order where it's put into place is how the interpretation comes through. The tribes, when they request that under the interpretation or request that waiver principle designated in an executive order, an agency will turn around and say, no, we're not going to do that. So by an executive order put into place, it becomes a law. So don't want to make it any harder than it is, but agencies are violating the law. And that's one of the issues that we ran into the state of Minnesota is the execution of statutes that if they don't follow the statutes, it's violating law or breaking the law in its simplicity. So there are things, key things I think that has to be done on that interpretation principle from the federal government to the tribes in that manner and its agencies. But to have consultation with 576 tribes on ecological knowledge is going to be an absolute legit break it up into regions. And I think that's where this should be going. And by doing that, we Mr. Baum, would you like to, is there anything that you'd like to add to this conversation as we've been discussing around um, um, kind of solidifying the government to government relationship within this process as we try to, as we work hard to get these infrastructure dollars out the door. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. I just wanted to um, say a few words about some of the issues that were raised this morning. Uh, first of all, the, we are aware that the three and a half billion dollars that was appropriated to the Indian Health Service under the infrastructure, infrastructure investment and jobs act was really aligned with the inventory in our sanitation deficiency system. So at the end of December of 2021, we had $3.4 billion worth of projects in our SDS. But that's, I think what's important to, for, for folks to understand is that's not a static list. It gets updated annually. There may be changes to state or federal regulations that require additional projects to be added. Maybe that we haven't identified all of the deficiencies that are out there. So those need to be added. And then we need to remove those that have been funded. So there, there will still be a need for sanitation facilities construction funding. But we are really excited about the opportunity for such an infusion of funds. There, there, there are some restrictions we have to work with this, statutory for the most part. For example, I believe the matching that was mentioned, I think that refers to the ineligible costs of our projects. So we are able to fund 
uh, our water and sewer system projects that benefit Indian uh, Indian homes. And so there are portions we're not able to spend our appropriations on non-Indian homes or commercial businesses. But we have a responsibility to work with the tribe to identify alternate resources to fund those costs that are ineligible for our appropriations. So for example, the $581 million that will go towards 475 projects in fiscal year 2022, tier one projects, we know there's $118 million of ineligible costs that go along with those projects, but we're going to be working hard to identify alternate resources. Thank you. We also know that the administrative and administration costs are an issue. That's why we requested the additional $49 million in the president's budget for fiscal year 2023. Uh, but we're going to be also working as hard as we can on the federal side. We're in the entire state, but it carries through per capita to the entire country. So region five under IHS really needs to be looked at under that principle of adding more funding to region five to reach them unmet needs. One of the questions you said is under comments you made under the DOE is under the department that there is not a direct line of our direct funding principle. We understand that, but there can be travel set aside so we don't have to compete with others under that manner. And I think the travel set aside is very important to put into place that tribes have that equal, equality principle to do that. They don't have to uh, go through a competitive process against a larger corporation or organization. Simple travel set aside revenue put into place can help the tribes in that manner. Uh, miigwech, so. Thank you, thank you. Um, well, I wanna thank all of our witnesses for, um, for being here today um, and for providing your testimony and providing this conversation. I think that um, the um, the opportunity with the Infrastructure and Jobs Act is significant. It is equally significant that we ensure that that opportunity works uh, for Minnesota tribal nations and for tribal nations all over the country. And we've heard today from uh, these leaders about the importance of direct funding and respect for uh, flexibility um, um, in the way that the dollars are, dis are dispersed. We've also heard about the special challenges that small uh, tribes and rural tribes in particular have, um, not only with providing uh, um, matches and for um, finding the, the, the people to fill the jobs that you have, but realizing that you might not even have the jobs uh, that, that you can fill um, in order to participate as fully as you might like to um, in the grant uh, making process. I'm, I think it's a really a good thing um, uh, that we have um, Mr. Newland, who has experience both as a tribal leader and now working within the federal government system, who I think understands, as do I think all of our witnesses on the federal side about what these challenges are like on the ground uh, for tribal leaders that are trying to do the very, very best that they can to take um, to take good care of, of, of their members and, and their responsibilities. Um, we also heard about the importance of the, the deep need for technical assistance uh, and the challenges around trying to figure out how to put together the data that you need to put together in order to um, participate in these um, in these strategies and, and um, again, sort of the the historic underfunding that makes it difficult to take advantage of this now historic funding um, that is here 
um, uh, to, um, to improve the lives of people living um, um, on tribal lands. And we have not today talked uh, very much about urban indigenous communities, but this is an, also an extremely important thing that I keep in mind all the time as well as I, as I think about these, um, these responsibilities. I want to um, thank very much uh, Chair Anderson and the Shakamee Medwakan community for hosting us today and your generosity and having us all be here. I also want to let all of our um, witnesses know that the, you may receive follow-up questions, um, written questions for the record um, from me or from other members of the, of the committee that aren't here. Um, so um, we'll let you know if we have any of those. This hearing record will be open for two weeks. Um, I want to thank all of the witnesses for your time and your testimony today, and this hearing is adjourned. Stopless. 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 Stopless.